Chua Mui Hung. If you don't know her, there are probably two reasons. You're in your 20s, or you've never read The Straits Times. Mui Hung is a veteran writer with the paper and has been with the same parent company, Singapore Press Holdings, for 30 years. I've known her since 1996. As a person, Mui Hung is plain speaking, sometimes pointed, with a lot of heart. All these traits show up in her writing. I wouldn't call her a celebrated writer. I don't think Singaporeans care enough to celebrate writers or the public intellectual. But you should at least listen to this episode, in which Mui Hung talks about her 30 years in journalism and about Singaporeans' favourite whipping child, the government. Hi, Mui Hong. Hi, Jason. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. It's your 30th year as a journalist and columnist. <laughs> you marked that occasion on the 7th of January this year. You've chosen to formally uh, mark that milestone on this podcast. I, I choose <laughs> to believe that. So I'm very honoured that you are doing it. Um, the first question I want to ask you is this. Um, 30 years back, what made you decide that journalism was the right job for you? And remarkably, uh, in these 30 years, you have been with um, one employer. What, what's kept you going with that one employer? Because um, being a lifer is a, is a very, very unusual trait these days. Yeah, um, I was actually supposed to be a, a teacher. I was on a government scholarship. Um, so when the scholarship ended, I was due to come back and teach in Singapore as a, a teacher. Um, during one of my university vacations, I worked for the Straits Times. I was attached to their lifestyle section, uh, working on books and ideas. I had a great time. You start work at 10 o'clock, you have long tea sessions, you go out for lunch with interesting people, you, and, you know, and then you end the day at about six or seven. So I thought, oh my God, this is the life for me. <laughs> so um, after my, my, um, my scholarship ended, I came back to Singapore. Um, and I was thinking, you know, I don't really want to end up back in the schools as a teacher. I wanted to explore life in a way. Uh, so I approached Singapore Press Holdings, that's my current employer, and they, they bought out my, my bond. So, um, yeah, so I presented a check to the Public Service Commission that, that bought my freedom, and then I was indentured to <laughs> Singapore Press Holdings for the, the next eight years. Okay, that's a facetious answer. But <laughs> I mean, it, it's true, but it's, it, sort of, it sort of sets the, the contact, the backdrop. Um, and I think when you choose, as a young person, when you're choosing a career, you should always focus, start first with your own passion, your own strength and uh, skill sets. So for me, I love ideas. Um, I also love, I would say I love ideas and people in almost equal measure. Uh, and I love to write. So, you know, when you have this kind of um, proclivity, uh, journalism is quite a, a, a natural uh, profession. It helped in my case that I had interned um, as a journalist with the lifestyle section for about two months while I was at university. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had come back to Singapore. I, I studied in the UK in Cambridge. On my in my second year, I was back in Singapore on my during my long summer break, mm -hmm. and I spent two months uh, writing for the Straits Times. I had a great time. Uh, so after I graduated, I applied for a job and mm -hmm. I. And I got it. And yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the job has been amazing. Even after 30 years, you know, I still, 
I still feel enthusiastic about it. This morning before our conversation, I was already, I mean, I was busy texting and WhatsApping and emailing people, asking them uh, for interviews and views because my commentary this week is going to be on, of course, the, the I mean, the, the case of the 16-year-old teenager uh, okay. who has been detained yeah, for planning attacks on, on mosques. Yeah. That there is, there is um, that, that kind of an adrenaline that comes from covering current events and weighing in on what's most important at this moment, right? Yes. Let, let, let me ask you um, the flip side of this question, though. In your 30 years here, have there been moments when you've wished that you could try something else or learn a skill or a domain, uh, a piece of domain knowledge that you wish that you could acquire that journalism doesn't give you? Uh, no, oh yes, I mean no, no, you know, no rational, healthy person could possibly do the same thing for more or less the same career for thirty years, <clears throat> and not either wondered or tried to explore, you know, other options. I mean, in my case, I, I did. I came close to uh, leaving um, at least a couple of times. The most dramatic was I was actually negotiating terms with the other organization. <laughs> I was quickly. And uh, that very same year, I received a, a landmark promotion. It was actually within the same week. And ah. I, was about to, I was about to sign, but then we were quibbling over some minor detail. And then I think a few days within a week, uh, you know, my boss uh, presented me with a, a, a you know, A4 envelope. And I was one of those landmark promotions where you get car allowance and whatnot. And I was thinking, wow. hmm, you know, at least this, you know, my employer still values me. So then when my chance at, you know, trying an, an alternative. Um, in, in terms of skills, yes, I mean, in my, how, would, how, how do I put it? I mean, in, we, we only live one life, right? So we are bounded by the realities of uh, what we have today. Mm -hmm. um, but I've always been, I mean, if you ask me, you know, what, you know, if, I, if there is a next life, what might I be interested to return at? I would want to return as a marine biologist. <laughs> I don't uh... even die. I have snorkeled only a few times. But I've always been interested, uh, quite fascinated by, you know, all the underwater, um, you know, uh, underwater life and so on. And I always think, wow, you know, how how nice to spend, you know, your life doing something like that, and then advancing the the knowledge, you know, of um, the marine habitats and so on. Yeah. Right, and and for me, if I if if there is such a thing as a, another life, I want to come back as a veterinarian. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> now let me ask you this. Um, um, I spent some years in journalism, and for full disclosure for our listeners, um, I was at SPH too, and, and you uh, at one point were my supervisor, and I learned quite a lot from you. Um, That's very generous of you, thank you. It's, it, and it's true, it's true. Th that, having said that, there was one thing that editors said, including yourself, that always puzzled me, because um, in journalism, you hear editors talk a lot about readers. They would say readers want this, readers like that. I never truly knew if they had a clear mental picture of who these readers are. They, of course, their observations come from market surveys, but even then it's very conceptual. In your mind, do you know who is that readership, that community that you serve? Um, and, and why do you think that that community, um, or, you, or why do you think you're still relevant to 
that community today? That's a, that's a great question. Um, actually, in, in, in my mind, I'm very clear when I write uh, exactly who I'm writing for and who my, my readers are. Um, for me, the, the reader operates at two different levels. One is the, the who is the, the direct reader for this particular article. So, you know, I, if I were writing, let's say, a news article on education or, you know, whatever, then the, the more direct audience or readership um, might be parents, people who are, in, who are impacted uh, by the changes that I'm writing about uh, and so on. And actually, I would say increasingly, um, yeah, uh, even in the Straits Times, we don't talk about readers, we talk about audience because we are now, you know, quite multimedia. We operate across all platforms. And what's the uh, difference between the two? Can you explain? Yeah, sure. I mean, when you say reader, you tend to think in terms of somebody reading the, the print product, the paper, or reading words. When we think in terms of audience, we're thinking of someone engaging with our content, you know, with the ideas in it, whether they see it in a printed form, whether they hear it um, in a podcast, or they encounter it uh, um, in a video. So we're talking in terms of um, audience and okay. you know, cross yeah. Um, so, so I was saying that uh, for, for me, the, the audience operates at two levels. One is a specific audience or reader for that particular uh, article. Uh, and, and the other is, uh, in my mind, who am I uh, writing for? Um, this is something I've developed uh, over the years, but I think it came almost by instinct. I am seldom guided by readership surveys. I mean, I, I don't really have access to them. It goes to management. On the rare times when I go for management meeting, I will look. <laughs> I, I, I write intuitively, instinctively for, uh, I mean, the, uh, I would say it's, a, it's a, the average Singaporean, the, the, broad, uh, the broad middle ground. And, and by that, I mean, um, I'm speaking to an audience of uh, Singaporeans who I know because I'm one of them and I interact with them, you know, and I'm with all of all of us every day. Um, every Singaporean who is generally fair-minded, we are very fair-minded people. Um, we are quite kind. Um, we are also a bit reserved, so we don't always, you know, like to to say, you know, what is really uh, in our hearts and or what we are being affected by. Um, and, uh, and, and I think most importantly, we have, uh, we have a sense of fair play um, mm. and, and justice. Yeah. So when I write, especially when I write my commentaries, um, that's the audience I am uh, talking to. And okay. I should say that when I say this, when I use this, you know, like every Singaporean term, mm -hmm. um, the, the, the labor cuts across all professions. So, you know, mm -hmm. whether you're a, a politician, um, you know, you're a hawker, you're a housewife, you're a student, you can be an average Singaporean with those kind of, you know, instincts about fair-mindedness, you know, the, 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 and the a desire to see um, fair play in our society. And, and you can also be a government official, by the way. Of course. Um, I, I, I can imagine that um, quite a large proportion of them would read you, given, given that you have been in uh, Singapore journalism for three decades and you've been uh, an, an opinion maker um, and, and an influencer, right? Using today's terms to some extent. But but that, that leads me to the next question. We, you talk about audience, audiences. How do you know what tells you that they are consuming what you are dishing out? <laughs> um, this is such a nice question to answer. Um, I, I started writing a weekly column uh, from October. Um, before that, I was the opinion editor, so I was doing mainly um, editing. So my I, I write only about once a month or once in two months. But since I started a weekly column in October, um, I have a very direct um, relationship or response from my readers or from my, my audience. 
uh, how do I know they are reading me and engaging me? They tell me, Jason. They tell me, I mean, people who already may know me, they WhatsApp yes. me, they message me, they see me in person at you know, a seminar, a conference, they tell me. Um, people who are on Facebook with me, they message me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and every article that I write has my email address at the bottom. Mm. So readers will just email directly. And how, and, uh, how much, how much of, how many emails do you get on average in response to your columns? It can be anything from zero to hundred. So it's very difficult to talk about averages. Ah. Yeah. Um, I, so, I mean, yeah, so I, I would say that, uh, I mean, looking back over 30 years, right. The, the, maybe I just talk a little bit about the kind of articles that people tend to respond to. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, two levels, I think. One is a, is a more personal kind. So, I mean, I had, uh, I'm a breast cancer survivor and I wrote quite openly about my um, my experience uh, during my chemo treatment and, and so on. I've written quite openly. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember the first article I wrote where I, you know, told Singaporeans that I was down with cancer. I mean, that was one of those that attracted hundreds of um, responses. Mm-hmm. I think when you share something personal, um, that uh, other people can identify with, uh, readers uh, will respond quite warmly. Um, you know, and then there were people sending me cards and say they were praying for me and all that. So it's, it's all, it's all mm. very nice and sweet and mm. very personal. Yeah. Um, and then they also share you know, their own experiences. So that, that, that kind of sharing to me is, uh, is very precious. Mm. Um, I don't take it for granted. I think it's a tremendous privilege. Um, mm-hmm. The other type of, of articles that get tremendous responses are those um, where people feel that I'm speaking up on their behalf to people in power, specifically mm-hmm. to authority. Yeah. So I noticed when I, I mean, I, I wrote a recent piece on uh, trust, right? And it, um, yes. on the, you know, and I mean, I, it was actually an article meant to gently remind our new generation of political leaders um, yeah. to to act and behave in in a manner that um, you know would raise people's trust levels in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, a lot of readers thought it was a article that was very, very critical of government. I actually personally did not think so. But anyway, that particular article also drew a lot of responses. Uh, yeah, and 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 uh, one or two of them use almost the same kind of words, you know, like you know, oh, I'm just an average Singaporean. You know, I've been reading you over the years. You know, you have a way of understanding yeah. what we are say, thinking and mm. speaking on our behalf. You know, what I said, you know, I'm not very eloquent, so thank you for. You know, using the, those words to express what you know we are we are uh, feeling. So those kind of responses sort of um, affirm yeah. uh, my my sense that you know I I do have a role um, in speaking up on some of uh, these issues. It's wonderful. Um, I I I want to um, probe that point that that view a little bit more because um, uh, when I talk about your columns with with my peers and, and friends, um, what usually comes up is what I call the Chua Mui Hong effect, right? There is on the one hand, <laughs> what you have said, people do oh. some, some, some columns, uh, some columns um, um, uh, trigger um, people to say that you are a voice of the people. Other columns um, instigate others to accuse you of being a government lackey, and or even anti-establishment voice with an agenda. Why are you, why do you have such a schizo public uh, image? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I won't say schizophrenia. Actually, it's a, there's a very simple reason. Over 30 years, I have written many, many articles, thousands of articles on a range mm-hmm. of different issues. So, mm-hmm. you know, on, on, on some issues, I may be very pro-government. On some issues or, or incidents, I may be highly critical of them. And I just tend to write what I think, um, you know, what I, I, I believe in. Mm. Um, so some of those responses are to specific, um, you know, uh, articles. And yeah. I, I mean, of course, um, readers and counters of my writing can be patchy. So, so, so there's a bit of that, uh, that kind of, of effect. I mean, mm. I would just say that um, I have been, I've had um, permanent senior civil servants who refuse to shake my hand. Uh, I've had ministers, you know, accuse me of having an agenda. Somebody um, mm. called me a firebrand. Um, and you know, I mean, I was—I mean, I've been told by people that you know, my name might be suggested for some government-related thing, and then it'll be shut down because I was seen as not being friendly to them, and so on. On the other hand, I mean, my articles have been, you know, shared by the prime minister and the law minister, you know, in a positive um, uh, way. And yes, uh, and and there are—I mean, I have written articles that are supportive of um, issues that you know many people disagree with. For example, on Pogma, I, yeah. I wrote to. I support it, and in fact, I think you know it could have gone further, um, which mm. is not exactly a popular uh, point of view. It so I, I think that the, the, to me, to, to me, you know how, how readers um, engage with specific articles um, is up to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know. Uh, okay, what the, the kind of responses I value most are those are from those who have been reading me over the years, and mm. I'm often surprised at how many there are and how. How engaged they are! They will email me, you know. And then there was once um, a few years ago, somebody said, "Hey, what happened to the Trumpy who were writing all those articles in 2006 and 07? You know, basically the more fiery whatever mm-hmm. kind of articles. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how come you are writing um stuff like this now? Uh, and I thought over it, and I realized yes, that there there was a change. There have been there was a shift, you know, in the kind of things I was writing about. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a very simple reason. Um, in the 1990s and early 2000s, um. Mm-hmm. Many public writings that you see would be supportive of government. Yeah. Um, there was not enough. I mean, there was simply uh, a, a lack of, uh, of, you know, more sort of critical uh, voices. Mm-hmm. So then, and you know, sometimes the government will behave in a way that's uh, not very nice. That's a bit bullying. Mm-hmm. And I mean, as a as a person, I I I feel for the underdog. Mm-hmm. So at the time, you know, I would just speak up for the underdog. You know, okay. the citizen. Or, yeah. Um, but with social media and you know you see look at a barrage of criticism of the government online um increasingly the 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 role of critique of the government is being amply and well filled by many other citizen writers some of whom mm-hmm. are you know former colleagues or other journalists mm-hmm. uh, yeah so I, I was telling somebody <laughs> somebody the other day you know i i champion the underdog and and increasingly sometimes mm-hmm. the government seems to be the underdog Mm. So, you know, that's why sometimes I actually end up writing um, articles on issues that I think are important that I think the government is getting flagged for that it does not deserve. So when I write stuff right. like that, you know, invariably, we say, oh, there she goes, the government like me again. Mm. And then I write something that I trust. And on the other hand, and then somebody will ask my, one of my former bosses, hey, how come we who is still employed in the streets? Right? <laughs> uh, it, it, so so it's, it's standing up for the underdog, your fundamental belief. I ask this question because... I do think in this day and age, standing um, standing up for something um, consistently is very important, right? For the, for for audiences, they want to know um, 
what you represent, what values you stand behind. Um, for you, is, is, is that it? Um, giving a voice to the underdogs. Um, I would say it was once upon a time. So, you know, so my, my writings are more or less uh, shaped or fueled. I mean, my, when I say my writing, I tend to refer to my commentaries, mm -hmm. which are, you know, where my own um, values and ideas come across. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say at, at one point, that would be one of my strong uh, fueling uh, principles. Okay. Uh, but increasingly, uh, I don't see myself playing that role. I think there are others who, who are doing that. I mean, there's no lack of activist um, groups. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, again, with social media, it's not it's uh, you know it's not so difficult for underdogs to uh, gain a hearing. Okay, increasingly, I and, and especially since my I started my column in October, mm -hmm. uh, I've been very intentional and uh, um, quite conscious about what I'm trying to do in mm -hmm. those columns, and that's simply to bridge gaps. Okay. Right. Yeah. To show to, the other to, side. To, be, to show to, to, to put. Bridge. Mm. To you know, to 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 bridge um social divides, um economic divide, ideological divide, racial divide, or, or whatever. So I, I I came. I mean, we live in such a polarized society, mm -hmm. um and fragmented. And even in Singapore, we are beginning to see you know signs of that polarization. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, we all know you know we are very multi uh, racial, multi religious. Um, the income divide is, uh, strength is, uh, what's the word? This uh, you know is widening. Mm -hmm. um, and because we're such a small society, we can see the, the effects of how other people live um, mm -hmm. so close to us and yet so differently. Yeah. So it's very easy in such a small, close-knit society for this division to be uh, amplified and to seep in and to start corroding our sense of solidarity. And this yeah. is where I think um, the, the, the media, the mainstream media, and you know the, those of us who are fortunate enough to have a kind of public platform, mm -hmm. I think this is one area that you know we can uh, step up uh, on and um, try to play a role in. So yeah. um, almost every commentary idea, almost every column I've written since October um, mm -hmm. is shaped around that idea of bridging differences. So, yeah. I, I do love that. I, I do love that because I, as you know, this podcast is uh, explores mm -hmm. uh, how we build communities and, and talk to people who who want to promote pro-social behavior, right? And mm -hmm. and you touch on on um, Singapore journalism. So so that there that, that there is one question I want to ask you about whether you think Singapore journalists or uh, as Singapore journalism can do a better job in trying to promote more um, pro-social behaviors. Do you believe that Singapore journalism continues to be uh, focus on the binaries, to focus on um, what's wrong rather than what's right and what we can do differently and better. That's a very thoughtful framing of the issue. Um, I don't necessarily agree um, mm -hmm. that the Singapore media over focuses on the on the binaries or on uh, uh, over focuses on what's wrong. Um, I think any news uh, agency will have to report the things that go wrong because I mean that's the nature of news, right? Mm -hmm. If there's a disaster, you have to report it. If somebody is mm -hmm. detained under the ISA, you have to report it. Of course. Um, I I actually think the, the the Singapore media actually goes the other way. I think we tend to report too much on what's going very well <laughs> and what's okay, and that's okay. a very simple okay. reason. You know, because the government is a, is a very influential and very loud and very persistent um, 
and and also uh, quite a persuasive voice in this. And you know, whenever they have, whenever they put out messages like that, we do also tend to just pick them up and report them. When it comes to reporting, whether it's of what's uh, ails our society or what's going right, mm -hmm. I think uh, we have to do both. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I, where, where I think the media can do a better job is um, in setting the context, uh, is in perspective taking, mm -hmm. um, you know, coming out with the the the, um, the news items, the current affairs programs, the commentaries uh, that put uh, difficult contentious issues in context. Okay. Um, I mean, such work requires you know a lot of time, and it's also yeah. a little bit risky mm -hmm. um, to to do so, especially when you're weighing in on. You know, highly sensitive subjects like you know interracial or interreligious um, kind of relation. Um, but I think in in Singapore now we do have a pool of very experienced, very serious-minded, uh, mm -hmm. dedicated uh, media people um, who are doing who are doing this. And yeah, I I, I just wish we um, could do uh, more of it. So I give you one example: Channel News Asia, right? They had uh, those series of very good documentaries regardless of you know race class and, and so on mm. uh, I mean they they attracted um, a lot of various reactions very strong some pro some against right yeah. but uh, they were very effective in uh, in bringing the issues to the surface and uh, in also propagating a, a, a certain point of view so mm -hmm. sometimes I feel we we need to expose the gaps before we bridge the differences mm. okay? And I think that's where Singapore media actually can do much better. Sometimes we shy away from uh, exposing the gaps that already exist. Some of it is unfortunately, it, I mean, some of the aversion to exposing the gaps uh, stems from, uh, you know, history, institutional memory or past incidents when we try to expose gaps and that attracted very negative government responses. Mm. Yeah, but I, I, I think that that should not stop us from continuing to to shine the torchlight into the, the crevices um, around our society. Mm. And sometimes, of course, you know, the, the authorities will disagree or they may accuse us of having an agenda again or whatever, mm. but I think it is our duty. But of course, we have to do so in, in a way, again, you know, that's fair-minded um, and that is um, a balance. But we should not do it having to look over our shoulder for fear of government reaction. No, I don't think that should be. We should just do our job you know, with, uh, with, uh, with courage and with every confidence that, you know, when you, and with every confidence that whatever we do, even when we are exposing gaps in society, mm -hmm. we are doing it in the interest of our nation, okay? in the interest of Singapore and yes. in the interest of you know, building a better society, building community. As right, you right. It's, it's true. The motivation should be about how that, how that story helps to build the nation better yeah. rather than yes. your own personal fears and benefits, gains and benefits yes. and losses. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that leads I'm me. Going to say, I'm going to say that sometimes we have to expose the gaps and mm -hmm. have the gaps discussed before we can come up with, you know, um, uh, ways to bridge them uh, in, a, in, in, in an appropriate uh, manner. Mm. But during that period, of course, when you expose the gap, it's a very uncomfortable time, you know, yeah. very uncomfortable situation for, for everybody. Um, I, I, I think both the media, yes, and I think mm -hmm. especially the government, people in power mm -hmm. must have the, the, the emotional and the psychological maturity to hold that space 
even yeah. while the difficult issues are being discussed. Just yeah. understand that there will, it's going to be some turbulence, you are going to come under criticism uh, and attack, but this is a necessary phase so that there is some ventilation of the issues, people feel heard and understood before we can go on to do the joining bridging um, mm. step. I think that, that, that you know, that, um, that uncomfortable phase is so important. And it's yeah. something that as a society, I think we, are, we, are, we, have, com- we have quite failed to do. Mm. And that leads me to the second to last question. You, you speak with perspective, right? Um, and, and you speak with courage that has been honed by experience. So you know, you know that you can stand your ground because you have lived through the ups and downs. What do you then, what can you say to a young person who has joined journalism for one year, um, has been reckless enough, right? Um, to say something that's offended the government and then been scared off. Um, I ask this question because while there are uh, veteran reporters like you, as somebody in public relations, um, I see a revolving door of, of young reporters whom I meet today and will never meet again six months down the road, right? Um, I, I get a sense that that nobody is sharing perspectives uh, uh, with them or, or girding them for the, for the long haul. So what, I guess my question is in two parts. What's happening with the young ones who are exploring journalism and what can veteran reporters do to help them stay the course? I'm very sad to hear you say that when you encounter some of these young journalists, you wonder whether there's anybody, you know, sort of helping them and girding them and giving them perspective. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, in the in in the straight side, we do have a regular flow of you know young people, um, young recruits join us, um, mm-hmm. people who took up um, Singapore Press Holding Scholarships or you know, people who just joined us. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, I think we, as a media organization, we can certainly do better in terms of you know mentoring and and um, and giving young journalists a, a sense that they are involved in something uh, worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think also the the sheer pressure of you know producing a daily newspaper as well mm-hmm. as I mean now with our website we are not just daily right we operate around the clock. Mm-hmm. The the pressures of our news production mean that their immediate uh, supervisors often have very little time for that kind of uh, mentoring. So uh, so many of the young journalists are left to learn on their own to pick up the skills and um, the, and whatever values or principles uh, they might invite along the way. I, I do think as an, as an organization, we can be a lot more intentional in the way we inculcate and pass on our values. Um, to the young. So in, in Straits Times, actually, again, since October, um, I, I, I raised my hand within my organization and I said, no, I will be happy or willing to work with uh, young people. Uh, so in the Sunday Times now, there's a weekly column called Millennial Mind. Mm-hmm. So it's helped by our young journalists in our 20s, in their 20s and uh, 30s. So I'm the sort of, you know, editor who's in charge of this team and this group. I mean, I'm not in charge of the team uh, all the time because a lot of them 
are actually breaking news reports. You know, every day they are pounding the street, covering things and all that. And they are, yeah, but it's been such a joy to uh, work with this group because uh, many of them are very busy with their news uh, reporting duty, mm -hmm. and yet somehow they find time to you know pitch ideas to me. We discuss them. I mean, I. It's quite funny because you know some because of their 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 shifts right they're all rostered on weekends or public holidays and whatever and sometimes I end up discussing sorry uh, ideas on the on a, a, a phone chat with them at like ten thirty yeah. p.m. on a Saturday evening. Wow, <laughs> it's so happens that I am okay with that kind. I am okay with you know that that kind of interaction also because that's more or less the the way I work as well. Right, mm -hmm. when something needs to be done and it comes out, then you just do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That I, I admire their 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 dedicate. I admire their strong desire mm -hmm. to come up with um, good commentary ideas and to mm -hmm. get their byline into the paper. So I strongly encourage uh, that. I strongly encourage them. Yeah. Um, there is one last question I want to ask, and 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 this this relates to what you think is the one belief or value or a big idea that Singaporeans should rally around and promote more of? Actually, I think we rally around and promote a lot of things from you know national identity, singing the anthem, National Day Parade, and now of course, hawker food. There are many things we rally around mm. and uh, where, where there are you know, and, and we are okay, we're quite good at, you know, those kind of um, instinctively nationalistic, patriotic, pro-Singapore responses. Yeah. What I would like to see more of is actually um, the the ability to disagree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the what I, I would like to see more of is maybe respecting differences. Yeah, you know, um, understanding that not everybody has the same view as you. You think you are right, but the other person also think they are right. So how yeah. do we go on from here? So basically, the the I, I think as a society we need the the humility, um, and uh, the respect, uh, to be able to learn how to, um, discuss differences in a civil manner. Mm. And I mean here actually I would say have to come back to the government again. I think they 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 have to set the tone. Are they doing rather, enough? Not that they have to, but I would say the, the way they behave when mm. they when their uh, critical views um, mm -hmm. will help set the tone. So if okay. they do it, you know, if they are criticized and take it very negatively, it will sort of set the tone for you know how other people think it's okay to respond and so on. I must say I'm quite hopeful and anyway I you, you know me in the newsroom, the eternal optimist, right? That's one of the survival skills yeah, <laughs> of yeah. remaining in Singapore journalism, right? You try to yeah. look on what's possible, what has improved rather than what hasn't. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm quite uh, optimistic. I mean, looking at the new um, 4G, I, I mm -hmm. know a lot of people you know, have skepticism about them, but I personally, I think they are doing a, a pretty good job with uh, COVID. I like a lot of the, the, the rhetoric and the, the signaling and the messaging that's coming up from the the front line of the, the 4G. Yes. You know, the, yeah, the, 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 the ministers that are now much more prominent, right? Yes. Like Lawrence, Wong, uh, I don't, don't need to mention them. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't kill their name. <laughs> no, no. No, but I yeah, agree. The, the more prominent um, ministers. Yeah, I, I, I think um, that is helping. So, yeah. you know, those of us who are sort of watching and are very sensitive or, or attuned to all this political signaling, we are taking note and uh, in, in, in a positive uh, manner. Yes. 
I, I, yeah. I, I do support that wholeheartedly because like you, I believe we need to learn how to respect differences better. And one of the things that we, one of the ways we can demonstrate this respect is to give credit where credit is due, which yes. is what you did. Um, I don't think we do enough of it. We, we, we for, for whatever yeah. reasons, huh? um, um, but, but um, uh, indeed um, that respect for differences, uh, that that uh, ability to agree to disagree is very much needed from top to bottom. Mihung, thank you. Um, you um, you are as I have always known you to be. Um, you are not a Pollyanna, although you 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 are sometimes perceived by the public to be a Pollyanna. Uh, you, uh, I think what you represent is I have balance. my Pollyanna moments. I have you my do. Pollyanna moments, and I have written some Pollyanna-ish articles. <laughs> but I think your, I think your fundamental, your fundamental leaning is towards balance and towards um, trying to foster um, understanding of of one another. I think that's my that's my my latest um, guiding principle. Yeah, oh, oh, over the decades they have, they have, um, they have been different. But right now, yes, that is. And it's a, it's, it's an excellent uh, direction to take in life. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Mihong. Thanks, Jason. Thanks it's for a very interesting uh, conversation. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in. If you like the show. Rate and review it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor. Watch video snippets of this interview on Instagram at whydoyoudoit underscore podcast. Until the next episode, take care of yourself and take care of others. This has been Why Do You Do It, hosted by me, Jason Liao.